somebody that you aspire not to be. So how did you become the person I don't want to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Secret? Exactly. Yeah, I wonder if people are asking Welcome to episode 190 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast, part of the Marketing Podcast Network. It's Saturday the 4th of November. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm a CMO, but not a rockstar. And in this weekly podcast, with the help of chums that I've met on my journey from sysadmin to CMO, we share our marketing street knowledge to inspire the marketing rockstar in you. Come and say hello. You can find links to me and my guests at rockstarcmo.com or follow us on LinkedIn. We are Rockstar CMO. This week, I go backstage with a marketing leader, David Alexander, Chief Marketing Officer at Everbridge and Executive Professor at Texas A&M University. And I wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my chum and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash MPN to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash MPN. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health marketers called The Boost. Steve, tell listeners what you cover on the show. The Boost is our podcast, and the tagline is Conversations with People Promoting Mental Health. And that's what it is. So it's marketers, company executives, therapists, and mental health advocates talking about what they're doing to move this industry and this important thing called mental health forward. Amazing. And where can people subscribe? I'm big on LinkedIn, so you can find us there, just uh, slash Steve Turney, or you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. On to my guest, David Alexandra is the Chief Marketing Officer at Everbridge, leading the global strategy and vision for the brand and the go-to-market motions for the company's market-leading critical event management and national public warning software solutions. As you'll hear, David has over two decades of experience in leading marketing and sales teams for some of the world's most innovative technology companies, including Microsoft, SAP Concur, F5, and now Everbridge, and is passionate about building and leading groundbreaking purpose-driven teams that focus on innovation. David is also an executive professor of marketing in technology at Texas and A&M University, where he shares his insights and expertise with students who aspire to pursue careers in technology. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, David, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Hi, Ian. I'm great. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. And I'm speaking to you just outside Seattle, correct? That's right. I am in a town just outside, 18 miles east of Seattle in a town called Issaquah, Washington. We are just on the foothills of the Cascade Mountains out here. So beautiful area oh, wow. for sure. That sounds lovely. And at the end of October, how's the weather in Seattle? <laughs> uh, well, I, I won't talk about that. It's uh, 46 and cloudy and raining right now. And it will be exactly the same thing when we talk again in May, uh, possibly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, 
<laughs> I've got I've got friends in Seattle, and I'm always there. And a couple of them are English. And when I'm there, I, I was there, and it, I said it's, it's raining. I said, no, this isn't rain. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's just like it's just that very light rain you get. Exactly. So, a beautiful part of the world, though, even if it's raining. So, David, let's get on to you. Um, tell us about Everbridge and what. Sorry, just give us a little introduction yourself, and then tell us a bit about Everbridge. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, um, like you mentioned, I you know I live in the Seattle area here. Um, you know, first and foremost, I'm a husband of 23 years and a father of three uh, fantastic sons. Uh, we've lived here in the Northwest for about 19 years, uh, transplants from from Texas. I like to say we have been misplaced uh, to Washington from Texas, but um, Microsoft brought us here uh, up to Seattle about 19 years ago. Um, part of my journey, I was with Microsoft, uh, some other innovative tech companies like SAP and F5, and most recently here uh, with Everbridge. And most of my career has been around driving digital transformation for companies, um, as well as, you know, most recently helping them to accelerate their demand and ultimately drive their revenue growth. And that's really been the, the center of my career is, is uh, those areas, which has actually put me, interestingly enough, largely in the, in the space of marketing, but overlapping with sales uh, a, few, yeah. a few sprints throughout my career uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, I I saw that actually. Did I mean I did, I did, I mean we were introduced. I don't know you particularly well in in to, in truth to the listeners, yeah. um, but I saw that when I was doing my research, the data transformation, um, sorry, digital transformation came up a lot in the in the work you do. So you definitely must see that as part of the CMO role or the marketing leadership's role, right? Absolutely. I I don't know that I've ever actually found myself in a role where they said, um, we don't need a radical transformation here. (laughs) We don't need you to come (laughs) and either build something or fix something. And uh, in most instances, you know, that's been uh, around, we'll kind of put it in a few areas first around kind of modernizing the marketing organization. And that includes Mm -hmm. systems, tools, processes, you know, the way we look at data you know, oftentimes it's been around modernizing the culture uh, of the organization, um, you know, empowering, you know, teams, building great teams, leading great teams, et cetera, uplifting, uplifting uh, leaders. And then um, lastly, it's largely been about the data transformation um, as well. So leveraging data to make decisions, having one version of the truth. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you could wrap, put a wrapper around that and say, in order to align better with sales so that we can go and drive revenue for the company. So that's been really been the story in, in most of my roles. Yeah. And isn't it funny that digital transformation at one time seemed like it was going to be a buzzword that would go away, but that is exactly that. Those three pillars are definitely what we need to focus on, don't we, as, as CMOs. So your role at Everbridge, you're the CMO. What sort of team have you got? What, what, what does it look like for you on a, a daily basis? Yeah, so a lot of people aren't familiar with Everbridge, and um, I, you know, I wasn't until you know right before I right before I joined the uh, the company. And I have to say, it's really been a unique opportunity for me. Um, and this has been an organization that our technology actually truly does save lives, which is uh, really uh, fantastic. In fact, in fact, our mission statement is keeping people safe in organizations running. And what we have is is basically a global platform that lets businesses and governments proactively uh, and effectively communicate with their employees and their constituents during, before, and after a critical event. And those can be weather events. Those can be man-made events. Um, you know, they can, um, you know, and, and we see those things happening in any any realm of our world today. And really, the power of our platform helps people stay out of harm's way and lets businesses, you know, ensure their people and their assets are taken care of during those emergencies uh, situations. Um, as chief marketing officer here, I'm responsible for uh, the global strategy. I'm obviously responsible for the brand, and ultimately, I feel responsibility for our customer and uh, how we ensure our our products are um, providing the best possible value for our customers. Cool, cool. And how big is Everbridge and, and what sort of customers are we talking about that you help? What, 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 where's you, what's your ideal customer profile look like? Yeah, absolutely. So we are about $550 million in revenues annually, mm-hmm. a publicly traded company, um, and we have about 1,700 employees currently. Wow. Um, so a little smaller than a lot of the other logos that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. where, I've, where, where I've worked in kind of previous lives, uh, but really, you know, joined here 
um, to pursue the mission with the company. I was really intrigued by the mission of, of our organization. About 80% of our customers are going to be enterprise customers, and the other 20% are going to be state and local governments, um, you know, universities, um, federal governments, um, et cetera. Yeah, cool, cool. But also, you've got another string to your your CV bow or your resume bow, I should say, as, yeah. <laughs> as an American. Uh, you're an executive professor and head of industry insights at Texas A and M University. It sounds like back to your roots in Texas, right? That's Tell right. Us about that. I mean, that must be very rewarding. It's fantastic. Yes, I am. My my wife and I are both graduates of Texas A and M, and about. Mm-hmm. Um, Two years ago, they asked me to um, to give them information and some insights on a program they were building called Aggies in Tech, and uh, and this was an uh, as a program that helps young aspiring college students uh, that are seeking a job in the tech industry, um, helping them define their way and giving them the, the insights that they need to go and find one of those careers when they get out of school, and so. Um, I started giving them insights into the into the program and how they should shape the program, and ultimately they asked me if I would teach in the program. And uh, so now I teach uh, I teach marketing uh, in that Aggies and Tech program, uh, and uh, it's been an incredibly rewarding experience. I'm on my second uh, semester with these students, mm-hmm. and we've had uh, such an incredible uh, experience with the students. They've they've learned so much. It's it's um, a real bl- blessing actually to to see their eyes open up and to teach them new things. And I'm teaching them largely things about, um, first I teach them about leadership because I think there's not enough fantastic leaders in the tech Mm -hmm. industry. And so I want to make sure I don't miss an opportunity to give them the foundation, foundational fundamentals of how to be great leaders. Uh, The Mm -hmm. second is um, I also teach them how to build go-to-market plans. And so we, we write creative briefs for these applications that they're building. We write go-to-market plans. We write demand gen plans. And then the last kind of phase of the, of the semester really focuses in on helping them to find a career in the tech space and things like mm-hmm. personal branding and how to go and find mentors and how to go and build your personal, personal brand and even a resume uh, are some of the things that we work on together. And, um, you know, throughout the course, uh, every week we'll have, you know, C-level executives. So, Hopefully, some folks that are actually listening to this podcast have joined uh, joined my class. But we've had some really great uh, industry participants, uh, friends of mine in the industry, mentors of mine uh, that have joined. So it's not just my insights, but I'm giving them a broad spectrum of of insights from around the industry. That's, uh, that sounds invaluable. That sounds valuable. Um, and um, how, one of the things I think we discuss on a regular basis around marketing, because it's not a formalized discipline like accounting or law or anything mm-hmm. like that. What's your view on formalized marketing education versus the fact that most of us just taught ourselves it, right, as we went through our careers? But what, what, do you think that's changed now? Do you think formal marketing education is a lot more valuable? Yeah, I, I do think that there's there's um, uh, there's some something to be said about both sides, right? The formal education, which is critical to having those foundational components. But what, you know, what I'm teaching my students even um, is the real world insights, right? Mm. You, know, you don't really learn how to write a creative brief until you write one. You don't truly understand yeah. what a go-to-market plan is until you write one. Same with the demand gen plan. And and, um, and we, we do it even in my course um, and what I encourage my, my team at work as well. We do a lot of A-B testing. So we use a product called user testing and there's a little plug, Michelle Huff, my friend, uh, CMO over there. Um, plug for your your great technology and your great company. But um, we use uh, we use that product to actually put messages into uh, into the into the tests and uh, get real world feedback from who their ideal customers would be. And um, it's been a fascinating experience because most of the feedback that these these students and even most of the feedback that my employees on my team. Uh, get are going to be those people around them and everything sounds like a great idea to your parents yeah, or your yeah. friends or your co- co-workers <laughs> uh, when you get your actual customer type and your ideal customer profile giving you responses on what they truly think in an anonymous format uh yeah. the lessons are very strong <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah i've done i've done that before with um website testing 
and I worked with an agency who who did um you know they recorded somebody going through the website and they'd been given a task to find something and you honestly it's it's so fun it's fun and you're watching somebody play with your baby and going no 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 <laughs> it's just yes and the things people say it's just but you're absolutely right user testing such a such a great such a great tool and just a moment ago, you sort of mentioned a little bit about your your career. I mean, it's amazing. You've been with um, SAP Concur, Microsoft, F5, um, and you're now a marketing educator. Um, what inspired you to choose marketing? Well, I, I really think, um, interestingly enough, I think it's like that marketing found me. I don't know that I, I found marketing. <laughs> Even though I did get a marketing degree in school, I truly didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to do market research. And I ultimately did some of that early on in my career. I thought I wanted to do sales and did a little bit of that early in my career um, as well. But I didn't truly know what I wanted to be. Um, I still, to some degree, don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> uh, I don't necessarily have a um, have a ideal job title in mind. So I've never really been one to t- chase titles. But what I've done is kind of built my career around uh, and I kind of call, call it my big arrow approach to my career um, is I just continue to go after places where, you know, number one, I can I can I can lead teams um, now, especially at this phase of my career. I want to be a high impact leader. So mm. the ability to go and imp- impact, you know, individuals, teams, businesses is, is very important to charting that path for me. Um, I always want to be close to the customer. I just find a lot of value in being clo- as close as possible to mm. the customer. I also want to be close to revenue uh, because I like to understand and be close to driving that that revenue impact. Um, And, you know, by, you know, happenstance and a little bit of by design, I've kind of found myself in these roles where I've been a change agent and driving change and and transformation. Um, And then ultimately, you know, you kind of put yourself in positions to keep learning and growing and growing and growing um, and then, um, you know, lastly, it's kind of been around finding ways that I can go and continue to give back. So whether that's sitting on boards or teaching or, um, you know, giving back to those that, that I work with on a, on a daily basis, those have kind of been the things that I've chased uh, throughout my career. And ultimately, that kind of put me in these senior marketing roles Interesting yeah, enough, yeah. as I've gone through gone through the career and some sales roles as I've gone through the career as well. So um, I think. Yeah, I, I think having some sales experience is is invaluable for a marketer, right? And I also think that you also came through the product management ranks as well. So you understand that side of the business too, right? As well as the, the marketing side. So I can imagine that gives you that sort of roundedness as a as a as a CMO that you've been in, in these different these these key stakeholders for us as CMOs. You've been there, you've done that, right? Yeah, it often uh, helps you to find um, a clear path to uh, how you think about that full go to go to market, right? Yeah, yeah. The go to market yeah. is is more than just the demand gen plan, right? It's it's yeah, the product, yeah. it's the sales component, it's the enablement components, yeah. it's the channel slash partner elements, and um, and then all of the marketing elements to that. And um, so it's given me a lot of uh, perspective um, so that I can come in and I don't always have the right answers, but I know a lot of the places to ask the questions um, to hopefully, you know, get and, and I, I know enough people to surround myself with good people that know how to get to the right answers um, so that you can make sure you have, you know, the right message and the right experience, right customer, right time, all the things that we talk about mm-hmm. when we talk about building an effective, you know, go to market plan. And um, yeah, so that's that's kind of been. Yeah, that, I mean, that I, I like what you're describing there, because I think that is a reflection of experience, isn't it? Is that you, you're not relying on sort of your subject matter expertise or your practical knowledge. You, you, you de- develop a muscle and a process, don't you, for for how products need to go to market, what the parts and pieces, you know, what are the processes, and then we'll find the people that can bring that bring that together, right? That's right. That's right. And, you know, that's yeah. that's where, um, you know, often I'll spend a lot of my day too, is if, if I'm not, you know, in a hiring situation, you know, ideally you're, you're bringing in and you're hiring you know, incredible yeah. people, but you also yeah. have to go and, and make those that are around you, those incredible people that you, that you need and want to be around uh, as well. Yeah. And so um, that's yeah. where I spend the majority of my day is investing in people and, and surrounding myself yeah. with, with, with great people that we can go and do incredible work together. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a very good position to be in. Um, You've talked there about um, moving roles, moving into new roles and the way that your career has developed. Um, I think you've been this particular CMO role just over a year, isn't it? So it's over a year. Yeah, about 14 months. This might still be fresh in your mind. What's your advice for the first 90 days of senior role like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've I've been a big advocate for the book, the first ninety days. So it's, yeah, it's, I've got it behind me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a, a, a good uh, blueprint um, that I've used several times. Um, a, a leader that I worked with back at Microsoft actually gave me a copy of that book um, wow. when I left Microsoft and said, "Hey, here's here's my parting gift to you." Um, but uh, you know, I've often found myself in uh, roles, as I mentioned, you know, driving transformation. So, um, you know, not only being an executive, but even just being a leader in those environments. You know, you walk in, and there's a fair degree of change that you know I'm either hired to do or that is expected of me. Um, and so, um, you know, some of the keys to go and and um, maybe there's maybe there's five uh, keys to kind of being successful in that process. And uh, the first is um, just go and listen, right? Listen and build <laughs> yeah. relationships. And not enough people do that. They kind of come in and feel the the need to make quick decisions without listening and building relationships. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that can be uh, that can put you in a tough situation. Having said that, I've never been in a situation where people weren't looking for you to make quick decisions. And so um, so being able to go in and listen a lot and go on a listening tour and building relationships, if that's your first priority, you'll be in a better situation to go make uh, make decisions. Mm-hmm. To that point, uh, the second thing is, is getting an understanding of actually how decisions are made, right? Mm-hmm. Every organization, every company, every team has different ways of, of making decisions and um, getting a, a clear understanding on that is really important to not overstepping and getting over your skis too early in the process and, and making some, you know, mistakes that you have to have to have to reel back. <clears throat> the third is, is, um, you know, understanding what success looks like for those around me and above me. Cause I, the more I can be tied into um, the, success goals, metrics, OKRs, et cetera, of those around me and and obviously my CEO, the better in tune I'm going to be with the decisions that I, I start to make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then, you know, always in the, the first 90 days book, I'll tell you this, create a 30, 30 60, 90 day plan, right? And, and share that with as many people as will listen to you, right? And let people know what path you're on and that starts to establish that transparency that trust that communication structure and um, really helps to guide um, you know that path and enables you to kind of bring people along with you on the journey versus trying to go go by yourself which can be very very important early on to establish that and then you know lastly is um, and this is a this is a nuanced thing that you'll get through you know going through one through four um, but getting an understanding of who to work with to get things done and who <laughs> has influence um, yeah, yeah. It is a really important one, probably one you don't want to necessarily write down, but you want to log in your head uh, because, you know, identifying those people, bringing them close uh, can be very important to your early successes and getting early alignment and getting things moved through uh, in an organization. So that's kind of the way I think about it. Yeah, especially the size of organizations you've worked in, right, is it, it, it can be really complicated. In a smaller organization, it's pretty easy to see that decision-making progress. You can go to one meeting and see who the influencers are and that stuff. But in a larger organization like you've worked in, it must take time to sort of build up that network of understanding, okay, he's a player, he's not so much, or That's she. Cool. And, yeah, I can imagine that that must be that must be quite complicated when you're at SAP Concur and Microsoft in particular, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and who's going to block you, right? Who are the blockers? Yeah. And then there's the whole, hey, bring your enemies closer, uh, <laughs> right? So you go and you level up and you get really close to those yeah. people and uh, you, you'd be amazed what you can you can get done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, just to um, go back to one of the points you were making just a minute ago about developing your team and leveling up your team, to use that leveling up expression. Um, I saw an interview that you did with the CMO um, um 
publication. I've not seen it before, so I'm now going to have to pay attention to the CMO. Uh, you talked about the importance of building teams. And many of us as leaders and many of the people that work for me have never been trained to be leaders. They've just be, they're just the best marketer in the room and they sort of get promoted up or they have a discipline yeah. or a practice. Um, and so we're all self-taught on how to look after other people. What's your piece of advice you'd give to team your team members who are coming up through the ranks like that? Yeah, I, I think, um, and this is, this is um, and I, for number one is everyone's a leader, right? Like you don't have yeah. to be a manager to be a leader. So everyone is a leader and has the ability to, to lead. And you should all think of yourselves as a leader and what influence mm-hmm. that you have. Um, and so I encourage, so a lot of the things that I talk about here, I'll, I'll tell you about is, is guidance I give leaders because formal leaders, man, slash managers, right? This is incredibly important, but everyone is a leader. And so all of these things are, um, are key. But the first is, um, you know, have a lot of honest conversations and get to know your strengths, weaknesses, and potential uh, derailers. Um, that can be very, very important. And, and it starts with being honest with yourself again, um, being clear on what your strengths, weaknesses, and derailers mean for those people around you. Um, you can't be afraid of who you are. Number one, you have to know, you have to know who you are, but don't be afraid of who you are, but also don't be afraid of changing, right? That's, um, to, to help those people, um, around you. Uh, those are, those are very, very key. The next one would be, um, establish of a set of mentors and coaches who have the qualities that you are seeking, right? We all know who we aspire to be. It's important to also, note who you aspire not to be right? so, <laughs> like and we've yeah. all you know yeah. we've all worked for worked for <laughs> with those folks and um that's a really really important one and so there's sort of modeling around that <laughs> i can imagine that that mentory type conversation with somebody that you aspire not to be so how did you become the person i don't want to be <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> What's exactly. Your exactly. yeah i wonder if people are asking themselves am i that person when they when they listen <laughs> But, uh, you know, the, the last couple would be, number one, it's, it's constantly evolved, right? The market yeah. around us, the people are changing. The needs of our teams are constantly changing. We just saw a massive evolution of our teams and their needs mm-hmm. uh, in um, in the COVID timeframe. Um, and yeah, so, yeah. you know, and, and even as we're kind of getting back to this, like, normal state, um, whatever that is anymore, um, you know, the needs continue to evolve. So you got to continue to evolve as a leader, and then I would say that, you know, the last thing is just uh, don't be afraid to be vulnerable uh, with the team. Uh, you know, yeah. just, you know, we're all going through through this together and we're all, you know, working together and you've got to really yeah. uh, lean in. And sometimes that requires you as the leader to be uh, vulnerable. Yeah, that, that final, that's, I've forgotten the lady's name, but there's a, there's a famous TED talk about vulnerability. I'll, I'll, I'll try and dig that up and, and share that in the show notes. I think that vulnerability thing is a really hot topic in management right now isn't it is to to be authentically vulnerable yeah yeah absolutely. we have to we have to put the word authentic on the front of everything now. <laughs> yeah right yeah exactly exactly this isn't about crying on linkedin this is about being authentically vulnerable yeah, that's absolutely. brilliant i love all that advice thank you very much there david i'm gonna i'm gonna get to our final question now yeah we have a regular feature the rockstar cmo swimming pool our portal to marketing hell where we throw all the bullshit snake on and overhype trends that plague this industry we love what would you like to chuck in there? Well, well, um, I have to, I'm going to caveat this because I don't want it to be mischaracterized, right? <laughs> the most important asset that we have as um, <clears throat> the most important asset we have as uh, as leaders, as marketers, is data, right? Good data, one version of the truth, and it's it is it is how we should be making the decisions and empowering our teams. Yeah. Having said that, okay, I am finding a trend um, where um, unless you're a data, you know, marketers that are not data scientists are trying to be too scientific with the data. And um, and I think where oftentimes I'm finding that marketers are letting perfect get in the way of good. And we need we need enough data to make really, really good decisions. Again, huge advocate for data. It's the most important asset. But get enough data to go make a really good decision and then move, right? And yeah. uh, and I'm finding that now that in our world we're getting so much data and we're overanalyzing and we're not making decisions, people are are getting stuck, and uh, and it's really starting to impact, you know, the way that you, especially, mm-hmm. well, 
younger people, junior people, and more senior people yeah. finding themselves stuck because they're always looking for more and more. And uh, I think yeah. you've really got to just get enough to make the right decision and move. And um, or yeah. just make an a decision, right? And also, the, what 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 it's taking away is some of that creativity. I know that we don't we're not driven by gut. It's no longer Mad Men and all that craziness, but enough data just to like you say move forward and make a decision and see how it goes and test and then try something else right so i think that's that's a really good piece of advice again thank you very much yeah i like that so we're going to be so we're going to be chucking them the over reliance on data into the into the rockstar swimming pool and a new little feature that i've added as i've changed the interview format i'd like you to give us a tune to play out with what tune gets your monday morning marketing mojo working Okay, so this is, uh, I'm going to share a secret because um, uh, no one really knows this about me, but uh, my, my <laughs> close friends. I have listened to, I've woken up to the same song um, every morning for the last 25 years. And so, wow. um, and it is a, it is a, by the band Pantera. This is rock, the rock star CMO. So the band Pantera, which is a metal band from the mm-hmm. 90s and 2000s. Um, yeah. And it's the, the Black Sabbath cover, Planet Caravan. I've woken up to that song, and my wife and I both have woken up to that song for <laughs> five years. And so um, that would be the one that would get me going every day, especially on a Monday morning when it's hard to get out of bed. You wake up and hear that song. Um, it's very, very slow, very chill, but um, yeah, yeah. that's what nice. I woke up to. Well, well, I'll definitely be playing that. And I love the fact that I've asked this question of a number of marketers in, in various um, ways the show has <laughs> developed. And when I say, what gets your Monday morning mo- marketing mojo working? I didn't realize that somebody actually did that. <laughs> so it genuinely does. It gets your mojo working every morning. I love it. All right. Thank you very much, David. And finally, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, my friend? They can find me on LinkedIn. And um, I think it's David Alexander 425. So, um, Ian, it's been a real pleasure to be with you today. Thanks so much for letting me share and, and join you today. And uh, thanks to all those out there that are listening. Thanks. Yeah, no, that's some great advice, Evan. That was an excellent interview. Thank you. And I shall share all of your links in the show notes. So thanks very much, mate. I'll speak to you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much. David, I enjoyed that conversation. That was a snippet of Pantera and Planet Caravan from 1994. What a great story and an exclusive for you Rockstar CMO listeners. I will, of course, include all of David's links in the show notes that you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar to find out over a cocktail what's on the mind of my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. And I love what you have done with this bar. I, I have to tell you that it, it is. So I don't. I don't know if you've sort of loaned your bar out to SpaceX and Elon, or if you have decided that you're going to become the new space agency for the uh, the UK. Which the UK could use one, by the way, a space agency and launch a few rockets. Um, but I'm super glad to see how complicated you've got. Like a whole, a whole, I guess you know, a, you know, they, they call it the control room or something in here yes. with all the bells and whistles and tracking satellites and the whole, the whole thing going on here. I think it's, it's really quite something. I have no idea what sound effects will will work with that, but that's that's. Um, I'm sending you off onto a onto a bit of a chase. This way, I'm not sure. Just so that, just so the listener knows, I'm writing notes to know what sound effects I need to look up for when I do the edit. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yes, um, I felt that you know, with the news that Elon's had about his Twitter X thing dying, uh, then I should I should give him some space. It's a monetization strategy. I like it. Yeah. I, I I I like what you're doing with the bar. I really do.
Um, so <laughs> we have a lovely cocktail. Yes, we have a lovely cocktail to celebrate the space age here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a, it is a little bit of a complex cocktail, um, yes. but also lovely for this time of year. Uh, it's a New Orleans uh, cocktail, or at least started Ooh. in New Orleans back in the day. Uh, it's called a Vieux Carré, um, although the French yeah. would probably cringe at my pronunciation. Um, I don't even know how to spell that for my notes. <laughs> yeah, it's V-I-E-U-X, and then new word C-A-R-R-E. So I would say Vieux Carré, or I'm sure... Yeah. I don't know that Carré is right in French. It's probably just car. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that is what we have. Uh, How's it go when you order these in, in New Orleans? Do you get well, the drink Well, is how they say it in New Orleans, right? So, Blend but it. that does not mean anything. That does not mean it's the correct <laughs> pronunciation in French. Yeah, is there, New Orleans is known for a lot of things, but correct fr- French pronunciation is not one <laughs> not of them. <laughs> um, right. And, and so uh, it's it's a little bit of a of a complex. So we start with mm-hmm. um, rye. So one part rye whiskey. Um, mm-hmm. that's important, not just a bourbon, but a, a nice rye whiskey. Then you have a little mm-hmm. bit of cognac, maybe, maybe one part, let's call it one part mm-hmm. rye whiskey, one part cognac. Then you have, um, basically, uh, I like a three quarter part or a half part sweet vermouth. Um, mm-hmm. and then if you can find it, um, mm-hmm. a little bit to make up for what you don't put in in vermouth. Um, basically, uh, what's called a Benedictine liqueur. Um, oh yes, mm. and so you can probably find that more readily in Europe actually than you can yes. here. Um, and then a little bitters um, uh, that mm-hmm. you can do, and a little lemon twist for just a garnish or something like that. Nice. And that's a shake and drink. You definitely want to shake I that imagine. and put it all into yeah. a, a, a strainer, uh, and then mm-hmm. strain it into a, a short or tall glass, depending on how much you're making. Um, and it is just so tasty. It's a lovely, lovely, lovely drink. Um, it's, nice. it's, you know, it's heavy, heavy on the alcohol, as you can hear with the uh-huh. whiskey, the cognac, the vermouth and the yeah. liqueur, but, uh, but a nice. lovely cocktail to start us off on the weekend with a good buzz. I love it. And I think the Frenchness of that drink is, is probably not just in the pronunciation, but the fact you kicked off with rye whiskey. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's particularly genuinely French, would it? With rye whiskey as the stuff. No, no, yeah. probably not. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. But it sounds delicious. And so, where are we going to be drinking these? Uh, well, I think we have to go. Well, we got to go to New Orleans, right? I mean, that's the, that's the place to have this. Is is yeah. um, is is going to go down to New Orleans and and yeah. and listen to some jazz, have some of yeah. these. I mean, uh, and uh, and get some good uh, jambalaya. Or gumbo, mm. oh. yeah. Uh, I had jambalaya the other night, and I was thinking about this. I was like, "Oh, good jambalaya." Yeah, that's that's what you go to New Orleans. For. Yes. Well, let's just let's just bugger the bloody talking about marketing, mate, and just enjoy this evening. But let's. Um, but should the conversation turn to marketing and we don't completely enjoy ourselves at New Orleans, what uh, what are we talking about this week? Well, we're going to talk about rules. Um, oh, and, splendid. I'm glad yeah, I've had a couple of these then. <laughs> yeah, rules and processes and all those kinds of things. And so, you know, it's interesting because we like to think of ourselves in marketing as sort of iconoclastic, mm-hmm. right? You know, we're the rule yes. breakers, right? Yeah. Um, but we also, the tension is we want rules, right? We want rules. We need rules, but we also want to break those rules, right? And so everything from, like if I said, hey, uh, did you return the shopping cart after taking it to your car? Or did you start a company without a business plan? Or did you use a sick day at work when you actually weren't sick? Or did you copy a friend's MP3 file to add to your music collection? Or did you post something on social media that you kind of know is out of bounds with their terms of service? Or did you get a dog, but you didn't get the license for the dog? Um, Did you actually ever send an unsolicited email? You know, all of these things, you mm-hmm. probably feel okay about breaking some of those, but maybe not all of them. Um, yes. And if you did feel okay about breaking all those ones that I just mentioned, what's wrong with you? You should return the shopping cart. Come on, it takes like <laughs> 10 seconds. Um, or shopping trolley, as they say yes. uh, in well, your neck of the words. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so our willingness basically to break rules uh, really depends on three things. 
is one, what are the consequences of breaking them? Two, the social context in which they're broken. In other words, how how badly will I look having broken them? Um, and that all leads to the third, which is our ability to convince ourselves with a story that they, they should be broken. And so we found, and actually data show this, that creative people, um, creative people like marketers and designers and writers and all those kinds of people, we're much more likely to break rules. Mm-hmm. Um, than people that are in other professions like accounting or, you know, those kinds of things. And that makes sense, right? When you think about it. Um, however, we, so this gets to our tension, right? In marketing, which is we don't want too many rules because it feels like it squashes creativity, but without the rules, you lose the ability to scale and measure what the creativity mm-hmm. that you're creating. So you need rules because they codify what our team can and can't do to achieve a predictable outcome. But we break those rules whenever we don't believe that they're going to be working to our favor. So the problem is, is that we end up never setting them. Marketers in so many uh, places during that creative process, during the you know during that entire process where creativity is valued over uh, sort of um, you know the the general uh, predictability, we don't put in pro we almost consciously it's usually subconsciously but consciously don't put any rules or process in there and i'll give you an example of this basically I worked with a financial services company and they they wanted to coordinate all their content marketing functions right they built multiple blogs they had a thought leadership resource center they had this microsite with you know presentations from their in-person events and all these teams managed each one of those platforms. And weirdly, they all competed for the same audience, right? They're all competing for the same eyeballs mm-hmm. who were their prospective customers. And they had no common subscription base. Each one of them were measured separately. Each one of them measured by team. And they had no editorial process across. And there were no common rules. So basically, somebody said, well, is it okay when one of the platforms basically quote unquote stole a content idea from one of the other ones, they didn't, you know, basically yeah. the, 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 the platform manager and the person whose idea got stolen was really upset. And the other team went, so yeah, go be upset. I, nobody said we couldn't do that, but then was it okay when the sales enablement team sent another team's subscriber base, a sales or basically spammed their subscriber mm-hmm. base same answer. They got really mad. Was it okay when one of their teams kept the content secret from everybody else because they were scared <laughs> and somebody else is going to steal it? So then basically everybody finds out about it when it's live on the website. It's like uh, all of those things didn't what were resulting in poor results. Yeah. And so you had to create the teams, the company had to create a common set of content operational rules that defined all these things, what was right, what was wrong, what could be done, what, you know, all those kinds of things. And basically, they now have a team that does nothing. I mean, it's a cross-functional team and in representations and all that stuff that basically can establish new rules as they come up. Now, here's the magic of it, because a year later, I talked to this person and he said, really, the value wasn't in the fact that we set new rules their value was in the rule breakers. In other words, now that they had rules, they still occasionally had people who would break rules that either were written or unwritten. And so the idea was is that the rules set the standard, but now when they were broken and they got a better outcome because of it, they realized that the rule is bad, so they changed the rule. It's like laws, right? right? We make a law until it doesn't make sense anymore, and then we rewrite the law. So that's the key is that with rules, we now have standards by which we can now measure whether something is better and a better outcome and whether we should have new rules to replace it. And it's, you know, it, it, it all gets summed up for me. There's that wonderful quote by Picasso that says, basically learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. And basically I changed that around slightly. And I would, for marketing, I would say, set your rules like an artist. So then you can change them like a pro. So right. that's yeah, that's yeah. today's discussion over. Yeah, no, I love that. And um, was was that a client of yours that was going through that? It's a crazy story. 
Yeah, but it happens everywhere in varying degree, wow. right? Where yeah, I guess you've got so. these but individual that teams like that, you know, I mean, the other one that I always, the, the story that I tell all the time is the insurance yeah. company where the blog team asked the web team for a link on the front page of the website and the web team said no. And, and the answer was, well, why won't you link to our blog? We're the same company. We're the same team. And the, and the web team said, because then I'm measured on traffic and I don't want to siphon any of my traffic off to you. <gasps> Wow. And so it's like, that's, that's not good, right? Yeah, that's yeah, when yeah. you have rules or objectives or goals yeah. that are cross, yeah, yeah. Uh, across from each other. And so everybody's yeah. working toward individual KPIs instead of mm-hmm. what is most successful for the company. And it's yeah. that in a I content guess. perspective is just crazy. And it's because yeah. we, it's because no rules were set from the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah. In I, other I, words, somebody said, Hey, it's okay if we launch a blog that attracts the same part of the buyer's journey and the mm-hmm. same buyer as our website yeah. because that's okay. And they said, "Okay, great, let's do that." But now you have two competing platforms. Yeah, but that's a but if you if your objectives and your metrics match that strategy of having two choices where the consumer can go, that's fine. I that's, um it's so reminding me I did a um I did a consulting engagement when I was in the US uh, with a large uh, well known uh, financial organization there and I was working with the CMO who knew there was something a little off with what was going on. And when we did our discovery it was a very similar thing. Not so similar in the audience content thing, the very specific example you had there, but certainly different parts of the marketing team had different metrics that competed with each other and that was what was a little off is they they were all working to their own their own goals and metrics but they were not working together in that way and so um you see that all the time don't you as well i mean the rules have got to be matched with objectives and metrics right yeah it's it's a so it's certainly objectives and metrics yeah and then once you've you know but you can come up with the common set of objectives and metrics, yeah, yeah. but if everybody operates from a different set of rules, yeah. now all of a sudden, it's you. You still can't measure it yeah, the same yeah. way, right? Yeah. yeah. Even if it, you know, so I'll give you another example. We worked with an organization that had uh, basically different definitions for what a white paper is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. This is, you know, regional based, right? So EMEA region had a different definition of what white paper meant rather than the Americas. And so when you looked at it financially from a budget perspective, you could see that the U.S. was spending X on white papers and getting X return, same objective. And EMEA was spending Y on white papers and getting X you know, to the second Mm -hmm. power of returns, Mm -hmm. you go, well, what the hell are they doing that we're not right? I mean, they're, they're, they're creating much better white papers. Well, no, they just define white papers as eBooks, right? I mean, or, or, you know, or short little articles that were condensed into PDF files where the Americas had their rules set that white papers were 15 page technical documentation. Yeah. And, and so, Yes, of course they're getting better results because they're different audiences to different parts of the journey and yeah. the rules for creating them are completely different. Yeah. So they're cheaper in the EMEA and they're less detailed and so they're easier to create and so we can measure mm-hmm. them differently. It's yeah. like even with the same measurement metric, which are downloads, you can see that you're not comparing apples to oranges because the rules are different. Yeah. Yeah, and this is such a, I mean, this is such a great topic, I think, because, um, you know, we're always talking about attribution and metrics and measurement, and there are so many different nuances to just like you just said about what is a white paper, what is an ebook, what is it the audience appeals to the audience, what's snackable, what, you know, and if you're going to measure them all by the same metric, which is going to be, oh, downloads. It's quite crude, but if somebody downloads a 15-page white paper, that download must be worth a lot more than somebody just downloads an ebook that's snackable, right? Because that Indeed. person must be really fucking into you if they're going to read 15 pages of your Well, that's show, right. right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. So what was, the, what was your – how did you change the Picasso phrase? So let's, let's finish with that. What was the it's, – it's make rules like an artist, but break them like a pro, you said, right? Yeah. 
That's exactly right. it. So where are you currently uh, making rules like an artist and breaking them like a pro, Robert? Well, I'm doing this on two places. One uh-huh. is our little website at contentadvisory.net, uh-huh. our consulting and uh, and sort of place where we put all of our long-form content. And then, of course, there is our coaching website, which is contentmarketingstrategy.com. Right. And that supports your book of the same name. It does indeed. It also supports the book as well. I hope know? the book's doing well. I, I mean, as regular listeners know, I've read it. We've talked about it on the show. And um uh, I see on LinkedIn you're getting some great feedback on it as well, aren't you? I, it's uh, it's doing fine. Yeah. It's doing what books are supposed to do, yeah, I suppose. Absolutely. I'm the worst person to promote such things. <laughs> you absolutely are, because you're. Um, I, I don't think you should be self-effacing when you're trying to promote a book. <laughs> the book is fantastic. It's a fantastic book. You should download it today and purchase it for you and your family for Christmas. <laughs> You absolutely should. All right, mate. And when we spin the dial on the interwebs, where are we going to find you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, okay. where I'm spending a lot of time, yeah. w- again, with longer form content. And then for the short, pithy stuff, I'm going all in on threads. And I'm just yeah. easy to find. I'm Robert Rose on threads. Splendid. All right, mate. And then for me, m- most selfishly, will you be in the bar next week? Indeed. All right, mate. I'll see you then. about rules and metrics two topics we keep coming back to here on the podcast so that's a wrap on episode 190 of the rockstar cmo effing marketing podcast i've been your host ian truscott thanks to david and robert for sharing their insights and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox selecting our track and jiving along with us you can find all of our links and the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. And please let us know what you think via the socials. Drop us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, we are back to me and Jeff in the marketing studio, and Robert sharing a cocktail and his content marketing advice in the virtual bar. But until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Danielle Wiley hosts a great podcast called The Art of Sway. Danielle, tell us what you talk about on the show. The Art of Sway brings listeners inside the world of marketing as seen through the lens of influence. So each week I chat with an expert guest for a lively discussion about connecting ideas with audiences in an attempt to uncover all the ways influence impacts how and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other. Wow. And where can people subscribe? Go to theartofswaypodcast.com. Find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.